passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock and joined as always by Waiting. It's Wednesday night, moments removed from AEW Dynamite and their holiday bash. Are you in the holiday spirit after those two hours, Way? Um, I, I mean, uh, not really. You weren't uh, festively inclined to just get swept up in the holiday bash festivities tonight. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Have what you ever been hol- Irish whipped into a Christmas tree? That I have not. No, no, have not felt that. Um, but no, it's a you know, it's it was a wrestling show. I don't. I don't know if. Um, I don't know what it could have done to get me into the festive mood. Okay. Well, we will break down this uh, segment by segment. Still to come, we've got news to get to. We'll also be opening it up uh, to your feedback as well. If you want to submit a super chat, if you're in the room, you can submit one. We will give time to your questions at the end of the show because uh, we are not going to have a chance to do so on Friday night nor Monday night because of the schedule. So we actually will not be doing a a live show uh, until next week. However, However, this Friday night, We are not leaving you hanging because as your Friday night ritual, we know that you just won't be able to have a normal Friday night without us. So premiering at 11 p.m. Eastern time this Friday night, it is the post-wrestling Christmas show. As soon as Rampage ends and three individuals are $300,000 richer, you can tune over to the Christmas show, a show that, to quote a great man, it's a big motherfucker. (laughs) <laughs> yes it is yes yeah yeah um we we're putting the finishing touches on it we're going to premiere it right here at youtube.com slash post wrestling 11 p.m eastern time available for everybody but if you're a post wrestling cafe patron you will get it ad free in your feeds directly whether you're a supporter of ours on patreon on the youtube side of things or on the apple podcast side of things those will be uploaded and released at 11 p.m eastern time and then also on the free feed uh but uh, so, so for those of you who choose to listen to it with a few ads in between, you can find it on the free feed as well. All right. So tune in Friday night, 11 p.m. Eastern. If you want to marathon through it, um, you'll be ending the show probably in time for breakfast. So that's that's our promise to you. Many, many special guests. It's going to be a crowded ring this year at the Post Wrestling Christmas Party. The Jingle Contest winner will be crowned. I'm looking forward to it. I think... I think this is a good one. That's my prediction. 
I think it'll be the best. Ooh, very, very high uh, standard right there. One other thing I want to mention is that after the Christmas show, we are going to be focusing on the best and worst of show that is going to be coming out on Monday, January the 2nd with myself, Waiting, Braden Harrington, and Davey Portman getting together. And we are combining this year uh, best and worst categories. We have a a consolidated list. Uh, It'll be one big show handing out all of our awards. But as always... We are also going to play the very world-famous likely-unlikely game as well. And I thought this year, you know, who am I going to task with coming up with the likely or unlikely list? And you know what way? I found the best person to come up with the likely-unlikely list for 2023. All of you. That's it. Memo.fm slash post wrestling. All you have to do is submit uh, your name and give us a scenario, just a brief scenario, and then we will go through all of your submissions and give it a likely or unlikely for 2023. Be creative. Be as uh, witty as possible. Keep it quick because uh, we want to get through all of them, uh, but it's free to submit. Memo.fm slash post wrestling. We'll round them all up and then your uh, your scenarios will be read on the, uh, the best and worst of show uh, coming up January the 2nd. Excellent. There you go. So there you have it. Um, And the last thing is that just for the Post Wrestling Cafe, we do have quite a bit coming up. So over the next few weeks, we've got the uh, the Christmas show that you will get ad-free if you're a cafe member. Next week, we're releasing the five-year anniversary show that we did back in Newark, New Jersey in uh, in November. And then we'll be back. We'll have Rewind to SmackDown, the night of John Cena's return, and a review of Wrestle Kingdom 17. Those will all be shows on the Post Wrestling Cafe. So if you're jumping on board, if you are thinking about joining... Um, we have quite a bit coming up over the next two weeks uh, of cafe exclusive shows. And let's not forget what we just released yesterday. Our latest for Wind Away, number 122, talking about The Undertaker's one more round from his Broken Skull Sessions with Steve Austin. This is the second interview he's done with Steve Austin on the WWE Network. This one coming after the announcement of his retirement, after the last ride, and certainly after the Boneyard match. And he'll go through all of that, including some of the moments uh, that you know uh, he hasn't really you know, uh, spoken to such detail with, at least you know uh, last time around. So uh, this is really our excuse to talk about the Undertaker's career at length, you know, including how 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 close this man's always protected his gimmick, uh, and how much of a contrast that is from you know how he presents himself today. Uh, details about the Hell in a Cell, both Hell in a Cell matches, his role as locker room leader, wrestlers' court. We went about two hours talking about the Undertaker. So if you're a fan of his, uh, you can check that out right now at postwrestlingcafe.com. Yeah, I think way summarized it really just turns into like a a deep look at the Undertaker. I really enjoyed this show. We we got to speak about you know several big moments of his career and kind of go in depth into them of what what um you know what was uh what was legit that that was brought up and just kind of our thoughts about a lot of interesting topics. So uh, I enjoyed this one as well as the news that week. I know it was only two years ago, but there's some really interesting news going on that week in November of 2020, not a super old review, but still, uh, and I was on the fence about doing one so recently, but this turned out to be a really interesting look back just two years ago. And really this was a retrospective on Mark Calloway. So that's up there. Um, The one milk, one sugar level level gives you access 
access to all of our bonus audio and the entire Rewind Away archive, including the Broken Skull Sessions with Mark Calloway. And you can hear his thoughts on Undertaker Wine as well. Let's get into the news. And we're going to start off with uh, a story that uh, TMZ reported just the other day through Mandy Rose's agent, Malki Kawa, who... I knew was representing Dana Brooke, did not know he was representing Dana, uh, Mandy Rose, rather, um, Melky Kawa, who, you know, has represented a lot of people in the NFL, but primarily people know his name from MMA with, uh, with, with front row management. And, uh, anyway, he told TMZ that since Mandy Rose's release last week, that she has made $500,000 from her fan time site and expects her to hit a million by Christmas uh, this weekend. So um, even if this is Malkikawa uh, slightly exaggerating, or if this is, you know, five, is she at 500,000 total now? Is is it, it sounded, the way it was worded was she has added $500,000 since uh, this release. And her page, I mean, she was very smart. As soon as the release happened, she like upped the price to like $40 a month for access to the page. So, I mean, if you're looking at 500 grand, the idea that over like 12,000 people signed up, I can buy that figure. I would, uh, I would imagine that regardless, she is probably doing very well on this fan time site. And I guess the question way is that long-term, can you see this being a viable business for her? If she uh, does not find her way back to uh, a pro wrestling forum uh, to, to advertise herself, or is this enough that, this could be this certainly beats uh doing pro wrestling for a living certainly does yeah um i don't really know what the career trajectory of you know people in that line line of work um what that looks like you know um i would assume in a case like this there's there's going to be a peak and, and it's going to st- slowly diminish you know as as she falls out, out of the news cycle um but nonetheless i mean the peak is seems to be pretty high right now and and is that enough for her to you know catapult herself and her earnings into a d- different business you know she already has a i believe like yeah uh, some sort of a uh, a business with with sonia deville uh, uh with, with donuts and and, and whatnot but, and obviously that's 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 probably not you know nearly as lucrative as something like this but i mean when you have a lot of cash you you can you don't even have to do anything in the public eye and you can really potentially set yourself up for life so um i i think this is um you know a, a very good thing for her. I mean, ultimately, this controversy has resulted in the greatest advertisement for fan time, I think, ever in professional wrestling. Um, and she's taken full advantage. Another client of Malki Kawa's is Paige Van Zant, which to me would be the template for a ex wrestler or fighter uh, to follow in. And Paige Van Zant, very similar, like has not. She left the UFC. She hasn't even done a bare knuckle fight in over a year. She's disappeared completely from AEW. It doesn't seem like there, there's heard nothing regarding her pro wrestling aspirations. But you know, she. I don't know what she's making doing like her own similar site, but it's. You know, anytime she has spoken about it, it's like that is uh, just a gold mine for her. And she is like she acquired stardom and has held on to stardom even without having a UFC platform or anywhere like she's not even she's not on any major national broadcaster anywhere. So that's certainly like the model to follow is kind of that template that has been laid out. 
and you have to imagine there are other people uh, either in professional wrestling or really kind of all, all, all combat sports or, you know, any any form of entertainment that are looking at what's happening with Mandy Rose right now. And, and you know, what people like Paige Van Zandt have done and are wondering if it's an option for themselves. It completely. And there's there's going to be ones of, you know, certainly I, I don't feel this is going to be an isolated incident of WWE having to confront when it comes to, you know, allowing talent, especially at the NXT level to do these and and how far they are willing to allow these, you know, performers to, to go in terms mm-hmm. of like the content that's out there. Like it's it's like this line of like, is it just a strictly like, what is our policy going to be? Like you can do these, but no nudity. Can you do these? And, or are you going to be clamping down even further on like, will it, this be sort of a regression where it goes back on, on just none of these third party um, kind of opportunities. Yeah. Specifically in regards to like these NXT deals. And and for what I understand, Mandy Rose seemed to exist on sort of this weird gray area where she did have her main uh, main roster contract, but while at the same time had enjoyed some of the freedoms granted to um, NXT um, ta- roster talent. Which is a great situation her. for her. Like she's mm-hmm. not on the road and she's doing tremendous, like has a tremendous side business on top of this and, and is yeah. still, you know, making your, your money at WWE. It was the fact that she was on NXT that allowed her a fan time page to begin with. And, and, and is that something they're going to crack down on? You know, and, and if they are, well, how do they justify that? You know, because um, I would imagine they would have to, you know, um, either increase their pay or, or, or do something, you know, to, to, to justify it. Or maybe not. Like, they don't really have to say anything, really. Just say no. They just have to say no. And, and, that's, and that's the power that they seem to wield. So. Uh, it's an interesting situation, but at least, you know, feels like it's uh, it's worked out for her. The next story comes from a sports business journal's John Orand. And every year he does his annual predictions uh, for the year. So, I mean, and John Orand is, is one of the top sports business reporters out there. So I think when any whenever these predictions come out, these are uh, believed to be very much informed rather than this guy just uh, guessing out there. But specific to WWE, his prediction is that WWE goes all in with NBC Universal. He says the WWE's TV deals expire at the end of 2024, but it will start to negotiate new deals in April, right around when WrestleMania is in LA. By the end of the year, the group will have a deal in place with NBCU that keeps Raw and NXT on USA and moves SmackDown from Fox to one of NBCU. NBC's channels. The real significance of this deal comes in two years when the two negotiate their Peacock deal. The deals for Raw and SmackDown will lay the groundwork for NBCU to buy WWE outright. Bold predictions from John Olrand. He would be welcome to submit this at memo.fm slash post wrestling. Uh, but just uh, make sure you include your name and your company that you work for. Um, way likely or unlikely. Uh, let's start with SmackDown being gobbled up by NBC Universal and placed, whether it be on USA, even the potential that it could end up on NBC. Hmm. I think we have to ask, you know, whether or not this deal has been good for Fox. At the price that Fox is paying, at the ratings that they have have, have garnered thus far with, with Fox or with SmackDown, would you say that it has been a deal that has been worthwhile and one that they're, they're they'd be willing to you know, uh, re-up or, or more likely pay more for? I feel that it's a deal that 
I could not imagine Fox going much higher than what they're currently paying for it. When you look at like the number getting thrown around when the deal began was the hope of a 1.0 in 18 to 49. They're never hitting 1.0. I think they hit it maybe twice right at the beginning. Um, you know, they, they've settled in. It's a good number. They're typically number one on Friday nights. It's, you know, it props them up. The argument is that it, this is, you know, 205 million average annual uh, value for the, this contract. It like, it's, it's sizable in, in the wrestling space, but it's not a crazy figure when you're looking at 52 weeks a year. But it's also, and, and it's on a night when what, what would be replacing SmackDown if you're Fox? What would we be investing to cover two hours on Friday nights, uh, in it, in its place? Um, I, I don't think like this is a deal where, Whereas Raw to USA, it would be catastrophic if USA lost Raw. Like they are struggling and Raw significantly lifts them up. Uh, Fox, they could lose SmackDown and I don't think it's going to be a big problem for them. And I also don't see them going crazy to like if WWE comes in and they want $350 million for this. I, I don't know if Fox is going to be necessarily committing to a gigantic increase, and that makes you all the more valuable if an NBC Universal is interested with with the long term goal that even if we overpay for SmackDown, this is all getting our ducks in a row for a massive purchase down the road when we can take all of this and not do this game every five years of increasing the rights fees. The big uh, issue that would come with that is if you have a scenario where Vince McMahon wants to be back in this company. I mean, he ultimately has to give the green light to a sale. And that one paragraph last week from the Wall Street Journal, um, that's going to come up in all of these negotiations. Like, I think that makes Nick Khan's negotiations a little trickier when you're going to have people saying, what's the deal with Vince McMahon? It's and Nick Khan can state, listen, there's no smoke to that fire. But are you are you going to believe that when this guy has the most voting power. And if you're NBC Universal and you want to buy this thing, you know that Vince McMahon has to be on board with this. Like that, mm-hmm. that does create the first time that we have a public perception of a power struggle in the sense of Vince wants back in and he's not back in. Why is mm-hmm. he not back in? Who is withholding him from being back in? And that's, you know, you can give the obvious answers as to why he should not be in. I think it would be catastrophic if he was back in any kind of meaningful role. But if he wants to be back there, um, you know, this is somebody that, you know, he still does wield power in this company, quite a bit of it. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. And I mean, maybe, you know, the threat of him being the, the big obstacle to prevent, um, you know, what, what could be a major deal with, with, a with one of these broadcasters. I mean, that's, that's a real point of leverage that Vince still very much has. Um, so, you know, as for unlike, likely or unlikely in the new year, um, for this to happen, I think it's very likely that SmackDown moves off of Fox and into the NBC portfolio. Um, a purchase outright. Imagine they put it on NBC on Friday nights and gives uh, Dwayne Johnson the boot with Young Rock. <laughs> well, it'd probably do a lot better than that. But um, I think a more interesting question is, okay, let's say Fox doesn't have WWE on Fridays. Do they look towards any other professional wrestling? Well, and that being AEW, it's a mm-hmm. it's a huge question. It's, it's hard to imagine uh, AEW being on Fox, but 
it's if you were to break down the economics of it, I mean, it makes a whole lot of sense for them of the idea like what like we know like we've seen enough examples of when SmackDown goes to cable on FS1 and and granted it's it's one offs here and there throughout the year, but it's a drastic drop that they get. I don't think this would be a case where you would be able to build that audience up to two million viewers if it was on USA every Friday night. So you have to look at the the inverse of AEW going from, and we just went over the numbers the other night from uh, TBS on a Wednesday night with Dynamite in 73 point something million homes to Fox that is in 123 plus million homes and what kind Mm -hmm. of audience they would bring on a consistent basis. And you know, um, they are not holding out for $205 million. If they got half that, yeah. that is game-changing money for AEW. $100 million would be enormous for them. That's more than, that's, that's more than a 2x increase. Certainly, yeah. Um, you can even argue that, I mean, you know, even at a number less than that, it's still very worthwhile for AEW at the point now, you know, three years into their business where really they're still trying to build name name value you know uh, just to, to expose the product and the roster and 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 everything about it to a, a mass audience i mean that would be a, a gold mine for them yeah it, it becomes a very interesting game as well of if you are wwe and the idea of leaving fox does that leave the door open for such a option to occur like in mm-hmm. if you were wwe and you really wanted to be detrimental to AEW um, and War- and Warner Brothers Discovery was in a better situation, which they are not. Are you not taking an in- a meeting with David Zaslov or whoever is overseeing these negotiations of WWE mm-hmm. having content on Warner Brothers Discovery when all of this is up? Of course. Why wouldn't you? I mean, you have meetings with everybody. That's just the nature of business, right? But um, I-, I don't think they could command any kind of, you know, I, I do not see WWE getting any kind of offer from Warner Brothers Discovery mm-hmm. r- regardless, but it's it's like an interesting theory out there of, you know, if you are looking to leave to, to hurt AEW's power as much as possible, like these are all the, 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 the different calculus methods you're plotting out if you are going into this. For sure. But, you know, regardless of uh, like where WWE ends up, I mean, AEW is a thing now. It, it, they are a thing with a proven track record of ratings that and, and, and they, they, they are they're very valuable to, to and way more people now than, uh, you know, um, just NBC or just uh, just Warner Media and, and NBC. So I, I'm still very curious to see, like, who else they'll be talking to, who else will be in contention when AEW rights are up. The last thing on this, if, if you were to look at a situation, and, and this doesn't have to be Fox, this has to just be, this could even be, um, within, within Warner. If their next round of negotiations goes in such a way, and this would be very counter to where television is going, where it's always more and more content. But if there was a deal where they get two hours of dynamite somewhere for a sizable amount, but Rampage is not part of this package, is there a, reason for AEW to keep that show going to sell down the road or do you think that there's a benefit to two hours of solid programming every week even though you have this bloated roster as a Mm. consumer would that be um, a benefit to AEW as opposed to this third hour that you are constantly trying to hook people into watching and certainly would not you know you could find it in like it could end up somewhere on a cable network somewhere but Mm. um you know that that's certainly something that that rampage's fate will be part of this whole negotiation if it ends up on a streamer or if it's not even wanted by someone else 
I think you run into a very similar situation as you have, you know, are seeing now with Ring of Honor, um, where if if no broadcaster want, wants it or if no streaming platform necessarily wants it, at least for a price that Tony Khan wants to sell it for, well, you know, maybe your own streaming platform is the destination. Maybe you put, make it part of a, you know, repackaged Honor Club um, that that makes that deal a bit more attractive for nine ninety nine. I mean, so much of it, you know, depends on the, list, the logistics of their taping as well. But certainly AEW Rampage has, you built a name for it right now. You know, uh, it might not be a, a name as strong as Dynamite, but nonetheless, it's a name people recognize. And if it's a part of a streaming package that you're trying to sell, there's value in it. Um, I would at least at the very least probably get rid of a dark and replace it with rampage if it came to that. Anyway, well, those are uh, that that is John O'Ran's uh, prediction. So uh, th- th- there you have it. A few other notes. Raw on Monday night uh, was up 16 percent in viewers, a million seven hundred and five thousand viewers and a point four three in the 18 to 49 demo, uh, finishing seventh among cable originals uh, behind what was a. As expected, a large NFL audience spread out over ABC, ESPN, and ESPN2, over 16 million viewers in total watching the Green Bay LA Rams game. And this was their Rod's highest audience since October the 17th and their largest uh, demo figure since November the 7th. Uh, audience fell 13% throughout the show. Uh, 18 to 49 only dropped 9%. So this was a, a very strong bounce back after last week's uh, poor showing with that first hour that tanked. Um, they did much better. Better here, and um, so this was a certainly a stronger number, and against much stronger competition with a, with a much more watched uh, NFL game as as well. So obviously, um, people wanted to see if Dexter Loomis would leave with all the money. That's why I tuned in. I mean, that was what else was advertised? They had Becky and Bailey announced, and then they had the ladder match. Um, <laughs> Man, dude, as soon as Tuesday afternoon hits, I I completely forget everything that I watched. You don't rewatch Raw a second time on Tuesday? Oh, just man, I was about to do yourself. that right after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, uh, you didn't have the chance, Sorry. I guess, this week. That's like, fine. if you gave me a quiz right now, I wouldn't be able to answer. Okay, I was I was going to come up with a question, but I don't know if I could come up with a good one. So anyway, um, there there you have it. That was the raw number on Monday. NXT on Tuesday did seven hundred and five thousand viewers and did a point one four in the demo. So the audience was up. It was their highest uh, viewership since October, uh, but the demo fell twenty percent. This was coming off a very good number last week, uh, but they were down pretty significantly in the in the main demo, including twenty seven percent among women eighteen to forty nine. The real big big hit they took was uh, in adults 35 to 49, which is an audience that has certainly been uh, affecting AEW these last couple of months. But for NXT, they dropped 30% this week in 35 to 49, and it was their lowest number in that demo since uh, January. Um, It was uh, actually of the year, I believe it was. Um, So Anyway, it, it was a poor number in 35 to 49. They did get a bump in 50 plus, which was their uh, highest in quite some time. So it was it was a mixed bag for NXT. 35 to 49, no interest. 50 plus, bring it on. We we want to see uh, Grayson Waller's interpretation of the uh, Bret Hart metal plate angle from the Toronto Nitro in 1999 that John Pollock was in attendance for. Uh, can't that, say that, can't say this yeah. was a great replication of what was a, an unbelievable angle at that time that that crowd lost their minds for in Toronto. At a time when I don't know if there was much you could, you could say that was great about Brett's run in, in Dude, WCW. I think it was Brett's best moment in WCW, that angle. Yeah. 
It's, it's not a sad, it's a bit of a sad commentary on his WCW run. I would say that and the uh, Benoit match, the, the Benoit match, the tribute to mm. Owen that, that comes to mind as well. So anyway, that was, uh, that was Tuesday night show. And, uh, a very good number in Canada. They did 82,000 viewers, which is their highest since January uh, in Canada on Sportsnet 360 uh, on top of that. Those are your ratings notes. New Japan has their final two shows of the year coming up Thursday and Friday at 4.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Thursday's card will be headlined by Okada, Tanahashi, and Yo taking on Minoru Suzuki, Lance Archer, and Doki. Um, and then Friday show is the Suzuki Gun farewell match with Suzuki, Archer, Desperado, and Takamichinoku taking on Zack Saber Jr., Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Doki, um, which will be I'm very curious if this is just like they all just do a farewell, and as Suzuki said, we go on our merry way, or if this is going to be some angle, whether it's a takeover by Zack or or something. Um, you know, you have uh, Minoru Suzuki, who certainly, um, you know, you could, you he's, you know, someone that I think will have an interesting 2023, uh, whatever he ends up doing. But um, yeah, we will see. I'm kind of curious how this match plays out on Friday's show, which will be, yeah, their last card of the year. I think there are going to be some Minoru Suzuki tears at the end of this one. Um, uh, that would that would certainly be something if the man cried in the in the middle of the ring. Yeah, uh, there are going to be a lot of tears. I, I would say, period, probably in the in the building that day. Um, you know, they've had they've had a great run. And the uh, final two notes here, uh, staying with New Japan, is that uh, they have renewed their deal with Access TV for 45 more episodes. This is the uh, time slot that immediately follows Impact on Thursday nights. And starting January 12th, they will be airing five weeks worth of matches from Wrestle Kingdom 17 coming up, uh, starting with the Osprey Omega match. So that will air on Access January 12th at 10 p.m. Eastern time. And... Uh, we'll probably take up the entire episode. Uh, and then the following week, they're doing Jay White and Kazuchika Okada. So Access TV treating Osprey Omega as the true main event of Wrestle Kingdom, getting the, the first run of the matches. I mean, for, for the North American audience, it certainly is. And it's a new year, and that means a UFC pay-per-view price increase on ESPN+. Plus. They... Yeah. Are bumping up, and and this is a this is a D- Disney ESPN move that they seem to do every single year around this time. So the pay per view prices, if you were enjoying these seventy four ninety nine bargains, a UFC pay per view will now set you back seventy nine ninety nine for each pay per view, beginning with UFC two eighty three next month. Uh, they're keeping the ESPN Plus subscription price; uh, it's not going to change that. But yes, you, you have to pay for the service just to have the opportunity to spend $80 on these pay-per-views, which it's, I mean, this this is the Disney Plus, ESPN Plus strategy of just constantly increasing these prices. And for UFC, it's like they get their guaranteed money from ESPN Plus uh, each month with these pay-per-views. But man, it's like, it is a very expensive hobby to be following UFC at, at, at a consistent level. And I always look at these as the ones that it's not the big shows that will be hit, but it's the medium and absolutely the smaller tier pay-per-views that I I just think there is a breaking point with, with fans, but this is at a time when this company is just exploding with popularity and finances that it's, um, you know, they're, they certainly believe they can get away with a $5 price hike. It's one of the things that proves the power of a UFC and, you know, by extension, something that WWE wants to try to hinge themselves on. And it's the fact that, like, when there's a big fight, people are going to be willing to pay it. 
And I think, you know, maybe having constantly like um, the other barometer in boxing being even higher priced than, than a, a typical UFC fight, I mean, tells you that there's probably a, a bigger ceiling for it to, to continue to increase in subsequent years. And it is one big benefit I think that AEW has sticking to this pay-per-view model is that if you are a sports executive following this trend and everyone is if you're a sports executive like the UFC's rise and what it's done to ESPN plus and you're looking for comparable like what is content people will pay for. AEW is not the volume of UFC nothing close but you have an audience that it is showing like it can do. Good business on pay-per-view several times a year, and unlike WWE, they have not conditioned their fan to just pay a subscription fee and you get all the pay-per-views. It's like an mm-hmm. AEW fan, if you were presented with, okay, you've got to sign up for Max or whatever the streaming service is and then pay for the pay-per-view, I don't think you're going to be met with too much friction there because you're already in the habit of buying their big shows. Their big shows have a price tag of $50 every couple of months, and that becomes very valuable to a streamer to know that we can bring in a product that you're the audience you're bringing will spend money, even if it's, you know, a fraction of what a big UFC pay-per-view is going to do. So there you have it. Uh, we will see uh, likely or unlikely uh, within five years, it'll be over a hundred dollars for a UFC pay-per-view. I'm going to say likely. What, what will be the value of a hundred dollars mean in our, in our everyday life in, in okay. five years time? Uh, it's, it's a great point. It might be just chump change by, uh, the, by the time we're at like 2027. We will That's see. Right, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into the holiday bash from the Freeman Coliseum in San Antonio, Texas. We start off with a recap of MJF's win over Ricky Starks last week and Danielson chasing MJF out of the, the arena. And we cut to Ricky Starks starting the show. And I thought this was a great way to start the show. The last thing Ricky Starks was on this show was an afterthought after losing the match last week. And Mm -hmm. he came out here. I know that years ago, people were making the argument about Impact should just uh, abandon the U.S. market and just go to the U.K. The market is great. They treat everyone like stars. I think AEW should be a Texas-based promotion after these last couple of weeks. <laughs> these crowds were God. awesome. And this this audience, my God, whatever your your belief of a star that Ricky, Ricky Starks is, it was magnified with the San Antonio crowd. He felt like, a, like the biggest megastar for these first 15 minutes. It, it, I mean, yes, Texas is great, but it's a game of volleyball, you know, where you have to give this crowd something to cheer for. And these past dynamites have given them more than, you know, a, a, a one thing to cheer for. And, and especially in the form of a hometown, home state guy, at least in a Ricky Starks, um, more than more than plenty to, to get behind. He comes out, the whole place is chanting Ricky, and he explains he should have known better last week that MJF would stoop to that low blow. And says that he lost like a man while MJF won like a coward. A coward with no balls. And there will be a next time. And one day I will be the man around here. Jericho comes out with Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia. And said he's been watching Starks for a long time. He states that Starks is a million dollar talent who will be a champion one day. But he's not ready yet. He doesn't want to see him become a flash in the pan. He just needs some help from Chris Jericho and invites him to join the Jericho Appreciation Society. Starks replies that he likes how Jericho stays relevant, how the man used to be built like an air fryer 
And now he's shredded and dressed like a single father on his fifth divorce. And this audience, they howled at this Hmm. and then turns them down, says, hell no, I'm not joining your little boy band. I'm not going to have a leash around my neck. Your stock dropped after losing to Action Andretti and the J in JAS should stand for jobbers, you jazz holes. And this crowd started chanting jazz hole. I, I have to say, jazz hole was a risk. Okay, and if it was anybody but Ricky Stark saying this in Texas, or if it was Ricky Stark saying it in anywhere but Texas, I have to wonder if it would have worked as well. But it worked. This this crowd started chanting, "Jazz holes." Is this, it, is this it could have been suffering the- succotash in the wrong hands? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, 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 this was a flex uh, for Ricky Starks for dude, sure. This guy's charisma was just off the charts in this segment. He issues a challenge for January fourth in Seattle against Jericho, but then Jake Hager appears from behind and attacks Starks. The JAS join in when Action Andretti runs down, lays out the JAS, clearing the ring. A near perfect segment, I would say, of all the ends out of last week's show that were handled here that Mm -hmm. sets up a match. Starks felt like the biggest star on this show. He was, he just felt like at another level and you attached him with Andretti here who got to be standing next to this big star at the end of it. I thought this was a great, great start to the show and a very uncharacteristic start to a dynamite. Uh, And this first, this had to have been the least amount of wrestling we had on a first hour of the show. We had, we had the one match, uh, the no DQ, and then the hook match. And that was the whole first hour. And is anybody complaining about the lack of wrestling on this show? I was Absolutely not. not. Uh, that was the, th- the first thing that stood out to me, John, was the fact that we had, you know, a pretty uncharacteristic talking segment start off this dynamite. And throughout the show, I was certainly looking for hints of any sort of production changes as a result of Michael Mansuri. You know, his second week in that we know. First week, I think it was a, a little bit maybe, maybe early to expect something. But two weeks in, maybe we can expect some format changes. And I wondered if this move, having Ricky Stark start the show off with the speaking segment, was was anything to do with him. Um, I do feel like, you know, some people might be bothered by this happening too much because they've seen it done so often on every single WWE Raw that's ever existed. 20-minute talking segment before you get to anything. Um, and it's something that I think Tony Khan has actively tried to, you know, not do because so much of, of his style of wrestling seems anti WWE. But I have to say, like, when done well, it's a better way of introducing an audience into the program. It builds anticipation for the action and just kind of eases us in, you know, in, in, into a higher paced uh, you know, uh, show when the action actually begins. And especially in this case where you had Ricky Starks, show, uh, you know, end the show last week and him picking that back up here. I thought it was especially important to make him the focal point of the start of this show. It shows that he's more than just a, you know, a supporting act that was just there to be the first notch on MJ- MJF's belt. He is a guy that you want to feel it has been made from the spotlight, from the tremendous near win he had last week over MJF. And I thought he carried that really well here. They positioned him incredibly well. We got the hints of the Chris Jericho feud last week. And, you know, that was cemented here. Um, Not only did we get Chris Jericho paired with Ricky Starks, we had Ricky Starks humiliate Chris Jericho on the microphone. And um, he did it in a way like using jazz holes, which I thought was I it shouldn't have worked. But, you know, because Ricky Starks is, is so incredibly good, it did. It made him look tremendous. And look at 
look at the reaction action and Dreddy got when he came out here. You know, the the man was the talk. These two were the talks of of the show last week, and to pair them up together on the same side, um, just overall adds so much freshness. I would say to the AEW Dynamite, and in, really in two weeks' time, like it feels like you in one episode from Winter's Coming, it really feels like you made two new stars. And this segment, I thought, cemented it. Yeah, I don't think it's ever um, a bad thing to break from a format to do something different. And I think it always audiences will respond to quality. Yes, a crappy 20 minute open is dreadful, but we never seem to get that complaint when the bloodline opens a show and they do a great segment. This would be another indication of one that I thought worked in a great way, but this will be certainly an interesting one to see if this um, maintain the same level of like a strong first quarter open for uh, dynamite um, that you know that that's ultimately going to be your barometer that's going to affect your but in terms it, it, of it, it is Sean I also feel like though I think it would help dynamite to get away from that type of thinking the type of I, booking that that's I'm with you, you re- should, relies on the quarter hours and the minute by minute it makes for a very cookie cutter and often poor storytelling type of product you got to do you got to do these types of starts from time to time in order to build to the big segments later on and and you know like you you have trouble they've had trouble making new stars because it's just been action 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 not enough character development not enough story and i'm hoping that changes and it will if if you are not just necessarily reactive to one bad quarter like it will Mm -hmm. allow you to expand your uh patience of having not just that your core talent but getting a wider variety like for instance like if this if if for some reason, and I don't expect that this first quarter to do poorly, but this was a gigantic positive for the building of Ricky Starks that mm-hmm. I, I do I do not care what that instant data would tell me. I'm in this for the yeah. long haul that I see this guy as a star and S- my ability. Same, same with the main event tonight. Very true. Yes. Yes. Very much like you mm-hmm. at some point, you also have to have that conviction as a booker that I know where this is going. And I believe that I have the right people in these roles that um, you you do not create a mega draw overnight, but you have that patience. But we are in a world where you can certainly get into that habit and just make snap decisions. So that's um, I, I like the fact that this first hour was a lot different. And I thought the, the talking segments were very solid. We go to Death Triangle and the Elite. No DQ match. Match number five of the Best of Seven series. Don Callis is on commentary stating that Nick is all recovered from that ankle injury. And they did have Kenny Omega working on Dark this week with his shoulder all taped up. And they continued it here as well. Did you get to see any of the uh, Dark match way? I, I did not. Um, it was with uh, Hagane Shino, and they, they had like a really you know entertaining match for uh, a dark uh, match. You could certainly like argue that a match like that you could have put on Rampage last week, but you know this week they put it on dark, and that's fine. It was like a different kind of setting for Kenny Omega, and I, I thought it was cool to do that. They had both Omega and Action Andretti on the show, and I'm sure that that uh, spurred some more interest in dark this week. So um, it's kind of the idea that it's these shows are not just limited to a certain level of stars. Like you, you can see the big stars. I mean, any week where you get Kenny Omega and Jeff Jarrett, I mean, that's, that's a big statement of what you can expect. What are we getting that match? Maybe on a future episode of dark. Um, that will be one way. I'm certain. We'll, that's what we'll you see for into. pay-per-view. I think. Yeah, there you go. The battle, the battle of the bullet club. It implodes on dark. <laughs> that's it. So, uh, 
This match was crazy. So we have, uh, first of all, Brandon Cutler is out there dressed as an elf, and he would get into it with Alex Abrahantis for a spot in the ring, which Nakazawa as well got involved, and they're explaining it's no DQ, so they can. And Penta gets a trash can, but you know what? The the common bond between WWE and AEW, it's their love of the tables. And this crowd, it's all they wanted. Bring out our tables. So, of course, they brought the tables out during the picture-in-picture, so we never got to hear the pop at home. Then a Christmas tree was brought down from the stage into the ring by Penta and led to Matt Jackson being Irish-whipped into this fake Christmas tree. Yeah, Excalibur was uh, pointing out the um, <laughs> the artificial pine needles um (laughs) it's choreographed though and it still hurts yeah jim ross would have been maybe fun to listen to you know for a spot like this but i'll tell you like i will remember this christmas tree spot way more than any single object i've ever seen in one of these like miracle on 34th street fights that wwe does once a year um I think this is how you do, you know, a hardcore match with a Christmas, you know, uh, item in it. You bring it out as a surprise, you know, you, and you limit it. You don't, you don't just kind of randomly litter the ring with like reefs and just like, you know, plunder. You, you make every object feel unique and special. And I thought they did that here with this Christmas tree. If you want to see how a, a violent hardcore match can be utilized out of, out of Christmas decorations and such, you need to watch, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It's, it's great. <laughs> in terms of inspiration for a match like this. So the tables are out. Nick misses Pack and super kicks a chair in the corner, thus re-injuring his ankle. And Pack goes to try and pillman the ankle when he is stopped by Omega. And Omega does You Can't Escape using a trash can onto Pack. And then Kenny Omega goes underneath and he pulls out WH Park's favorite weapon, the barbed wire broom. And he attacks Phoenix with this barbed wire. It's getting caught in the guy's tights. Uh, look, plenty of fun here. Penta and Pac then get set up on the tables on the floor. Matt comes off the top with an elbow drop. Nick with a swanton, putting both through tables. And then Kenny hits a Tiger Driver 98 to Phoenix onto the barbed wire broom. I'm imagining this would be Jim Ross just uh, screaming at this point after the Christmas tree and the barbed wire broom. Big I, you know, I, I, I wonder, like, I mean, I guess I vaguely remember the barbed wire broom getting some sort of like, I, I don't know, criticism. But I mean, it's so attached to the guy right now that I, I mean, it's just the, it's just a, a roll of barbed wire, essentially. And, and it's I mean, it's his version of the barbed wire bat or sorry, it's sledgehammer, isn't it? Uh, I guess so. Yes. Um the V-trigger is hit to Phoenix, and then the one-winged angel is countered with a Rana. He hooks the legs for this great near fall, kind of playing off the match number one. And then, continuing the uh, the callbacks, the hammer is handed to Phoenix, but now it's legal. So he blasts Omega, but Omega kicks out, and this crowd is losing it. Brutalizer is applied on Kenny Omega, but not just any brutalizer. Assisted with tinsel in the mouth. Ooh. Ouch brutal yeah Iser. it's rough yeah phoenix then applies an ankle lock onto nick's injured uh, leg and then matt br- saves his partners snap drag into phoenix as the others are yanked to the floor and it climaxes with the Meltzer driver onto a chair with matt pinning phoenix in 13 minutes and 40 seconds and death triangle 
beating the hell out of these three with the hammer after the match bloodies up all of them and you've got the blood of one of them all over Pac's abdomen that just looked uh this look of this man this looked like uh he was auditioning for the ring um it looked like he had wilson on his abs that's that's it and uh excalibur my one complaint here the attack is still going on as excalibur's throwing to the next segment uh of mjf and it was like man this this could breathe for a minute that we have this big post-match attack that is not even done yet and we're throwing away like how urgent is this attack when we're saying we've got other things to get to we're gonna leave that we're gonna take the camera off this attack dynamite is a show with asthma it it has a lot of trouble breathing um and it it hasn't you know i i i will say i think like certain elements of the show have uh felt improved today you know we had a lot more video packages than usual uh, at least to me it seems and and for that reason i felt like storytelling felt a lot better uh, i felt like names were a lot more memorable by the end of it but you're still going to get moments like this when you're kind of you know presenting a product that's fast moving with wall-to-wall action you're going to kind of you know uh you know cut to the back a, a little bit earlier sometimes but, but but the match itself i thought was absolutely tremendous uh certainly living up to the standard that you, these these uh six eight you know, including uh, the the uh, the ringside people have have set uh, very creative. This one maybe more so than several of the others we've seen because of all the added stipulations and the weapons. It was fun, you know, incorporating a lot of the Christmassy elements into it, um, but in a way that still fit in a pretty violent, you know, fashion. And the psychology I thought was really solid here too. You know, of course you had everything to do with Nick's ankle, but what I loved was the near fall, you know, that, that counter from the one winged angel into the rollover to the Rana every, and this was something that I think was really smart actually uh, about, you know, going down three to one early on for the elite, every fall, from this point on for the elite is going to be sudden death. And so you're creating this sort of like undertaker streak, you know, element where every convincing near fall, we should say, you know, was going to elicit a big reaction. Yeah. For, for all the concern that, Oh, it's so telegraphed they're they're going seven. Like, sure. But that, that did not hamper this audience at all. Like no. it was, it was totally, again, again, it's the undertaker streak, right? We all like for a time, we all knew the undertaker was going to win at WrestleMania, but it's the crafting of the match to suspend our disbelief for that one single. That's, That's all you need to do is create spots of doubt. And it's enough mm-hmm. that the audience will bite on it. And they did multiple times in this match. I, I thought they did a terrific job. So it's falls count anywhere now. Next week, then they're off the fourth with Kenny going to the Tokyo Dome, and then the eleventh is the ladder match. So the, the, these guys are going to be necessary, John. If necessary. necessary, you're right. It could all end. What will Kenny do in a city named Broomfield next week? Um, uh, they're not getting the clean sweep. We know that. <laughs> I don't know. They showed a segment. After Dynamite went off the air last week with MJF calling Brian Danielson a gutless coward and a nobody in his world and tells him to don't stick your shitty hipster nose in my business and refers to his reign of terror. Mm-hmm. Your shitty hipster nose. Yeah, they, they they seem to really want to go after his uh, it's either his veganism or, or I guess I guess that's hand in hand with the, the hipster dumb, isn't it? Um, shopping at Trader Joe's and all that. They've they've got their drop down menu of insults for Brian Danielson. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> go read a book, <laughs> you nerd. How many books did you read this week? 
Yeah. Tell me about seashells. Go don't drink a beer. (laughs) (laughs) Shivani is with Action Andretti. They're really pushing like the tagline, the upset of the decade. And he got a lot of support from the fans. And he had Starks back tonight. And then he's interrupted by Menard and Parker, who state he's on a hot streak. You could say you're on fire. And he turns around and is blasted with a fireball. By the wizard. This and one looked good, okay? Dude, like, he <laughs> took his eyebrows off with this one and then rubs his face into the, the floor, wishing him a Merry Christmas. This is like a, a straight-up, you know, Hadouken here from Chris Jericho. Like, it, it looked really good, unlike some of the other fireballs we've seen from him. Um, this guy could promo. You know, as we uh, if you saw that, that edition of Dark uh, initially. like he, It's not just the QT match. It's the promo later in the show mm-hmm. that is yep. just as impressive. Like, he cut a great promo, and I'd be very curious. Like, the word was that, you know, Jericho saw that match. I'm curious if he saw the promo, too, if that um, added to Like, he has mm-hmm. gone out on a leap of faith with this guy. Like, of all the people and all the talent that comes through these Dark matches, like, this yeah. was the guy that got picked, and he's he can talk. Like, that is a big part of the package. And again, he it's it's the fact that he looks and his name is so indie-rific that I think sets our expectations so incredibly low. <laughs> you know, like his neon green and and blue tights and just the name Action Andretti, I just I mean, <laughs> I think I think it's great for this type of push, but I guess I, I I just wonder, you know, if 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 he's due for any sort of change. But maybe he'll make Action Andretti cool. Maybe yeah. he will inherit um, the name Action Andrade. Okay, why? Uh, if the guy's not take it uh, over, where where's he gone? Maybe he'll just play on and Andrade after a while. No, maybe he'll team with the Action Bronson. Oh, okay, the yeah. actions. <laughs> Lights, camera, action. <laughs> Consequences of your actions, sir. We'll 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 uh we'll table that one later. Renee brought out Brian Danielson to the ring. Man, this guy was just going to get uh, attacked here verbally, and the whole focus of this is William Regal, and he is asked what that attack on Regal, where that leaves the BCC, and Danielson says he knows that the other members are not going to forgive Regal, but he explains that I trained to wrestle here in San Antonio. I had my first match 15 minutes up the road at Far West Rodeo. Yes! Yeah! Far West Rodeo. This place lost it, dude. They're like, that's a real place. <laughs> I imagine like, to be like, what's like- the psychology of like, oh, he, he said Loblaws, like Loblaws. <laughs> Look, I've been there. I've been the Loblaws. It's, it's right if up on Brian Queen. Danielson came to Toronto and said that he went shopping at Loblaws. I'd, I'd lose my shit. Are you kidding I, me? I bought a wrap 10 weeks ago at the Loose Moose. <laughs> Vegan wrap. <laughs> the Loose Moose. What's that? Uh, probably not a vegan spot for Brian Danielson. Have you ever been to the Loose Moose? I don't even know if it's still not. open. On Union? No. No? Okay. Um, I, went, I, I went there um, after a WWE press conference where I, I got to ask Vince McMahon a question, and he uh, just no-sold me and did not answer. 
you got a great photo out of it, though. I did. Mm-hmm. I did. That got picked up in a magazine. So anyway, Far West Rodeo represented here. And he mentions being trained by Rudy Boy Gonzalez and Shawn Michaels, which leads to quite a big HBK chant. Uh, but then Danielson turned it over. But he's like, but the man who turned me into a wrestler, the wrestler he is today is Regal. And also turned me into the person I am today. He says that Moxley, Claudio, and Yuta don't have the same relationship. And I cried thinking that I would never see William Regal again. He made my life better. And I loved having Regal in AEW. But he taught me that there are consequences for your actions. And I need to teach that lesson to MJF. I've listened to every word you've said. And you hospitalized the one person I love more than anyone else outside of my family. And he calls out MJF, but instead he is met by Ethan Page and Stokely Hathaway. On the Danielson portion of the promo, uh, what what did you think? Is this is clearly the the big match for MJF's next title defense. I thought he sounded great. You know, um I, I again you see a Brian Danielson like this and you compare it to the, the mic work he's shown in his first year in AEW and I, I think you could definitely say that he's probably found um his comfort zone, if not the comfort zone, another uh you know, Toronto uh, classic spot, by the way. Um you know, if not his comfort zone, he's at least found a story and and I think material that he could really kind of sink his teeth into to convey that excellent authenticity to me that he's been known for on the microphone. Uh, and he really dug into his relationship and his love of William Regal. It felt very real here. I'm really glad AEW is not afraid of mentioning the guy's name, you know, even though he's he's been announced to go to the competition. Imagine a Cactus Pete's reference. Um. I'm trying to think who could make it. That's another is like, place. I is that is that even exist? Did you did you ever go to a Cactus Pete's show back in the day? Uh, no. Was that Ring of Ears? That was a AWF, the Apocalypse Wrestling Federation. Uh, I, okay. I made many a trek to when I was like 15, 16 years old. It took me like an over an hour to get there by bus, and it was like, <laughs> oh, this is the place. It's just like this is just a small bar. <laughs> And they're going to wrestle in this and they're going to uh, not be able to do any flying because the ceiling was literally as tall as a ceiling right here. Sounds like an indie wrestling show to me. But I I Um, got to see I got to see Gail Kim there. I got to see Tracy Brooks there. I got to see uh, Joey Legend there. I interviewed hmm. Joey Legend there, actually. Um, I'm trying to think of like names that that came through there that were of uh, of significant note. But there was a, you know. So Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon and Joey Legend. You know, you know who was there once, and I didn't even realize it was like Jim Barnett, like the the famous like really? you know the NWA WWF. Yeah. Uh, like Jim was Barnett was the, there. The he was there show. watching the show. Yeah, and I didn't know wow. this until after. And someone posted a photo, and like he was there. He was like a guest, just watching it in Cactus Pete's. I was like, man. Maybe the next territory he was about to take over. He's going to invest in the uh, the burgeoning Danforth Birchmount scene. So Ethan and Stokely Hathaway are out, and Ethan notes that he made it to the final two of both the title eliminator and the Dynamite Battle Royal. But this vegetable man thinks he can jump the line ahead of him. Danielson comes back and says that he is distracted by the glare off of Stokely Hathaway's head. And then... On live television. Cover your ears. Could you grow some hair? (laughs) And please listen to the people and shut up. And Stokely comes back. You raggedy bitch. You raggedy bitch. (laughs) 
Raggedy Bitch got a pretty good reaction. That got a great reaction. But uh, think, grow some hair did not. Yeah, thank thank <laughs> goodness. Thank goodness this guy was was Brian Danielson. Okay, one of the most revered professional wrestlers on the planet. And thank goodness this San Antonio crowd was as receptive to the baby faces as G- give him a break. He wrestled at Far West Rodeo. <laughs> yeah, throw some hair is about as great of an insult as you know. Go go not not drink some beer. Um, would you have been insulted, John, as 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 a man with a shaved head? If somebody if I yelled, "Hey, go go shave some, go grow your hair." I I would uh I'd be so offended way if you mar- remarked on the, like the glare from my I head. think it just kind of underscores how much of a nice guy Brian Danielson probably is like if this is the best insult he could come up with Well um you I mean you you could you could certainly argue that uh that that Chris Rock got into a lot of trouble making the same insult earlier this year well, That is true well wow. so I mean Danielson like what if what if Stokely Hathaway cannot grow his hair ah okay okay hmm. so hmm. he says did you just call me vegetable man and ethan page dude he's just riling up this crowd he says i didn't call you vegetable man because of your diet i'm calling you that because i will literally turn you into a vegetable and danielson challenges him to a match but page declines saying we can do it next week and that will happen in broomfield next week Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't expect all the vegetable talk on, on this, but I, I mean, I thought it was a nice way for Ethan Page to turn it around. I mean, something relatively innocent into something very nasty, you know. Um, yeah, he went from veggie to edgy very quickly. That he did. Yes, he did. But I thought Page said it really good. Um, Brian, I said it really good, and I'm sure the match will be great. Yeah, at first, I thought, man, are, is this going to be the Seattle match? And it makes you wonder, like, obviously, Danielson's going to be all over that show. I do not b- believe that you're going to, you know, go to the MJF route. But uh, it'll be interesting. Like, obviously, he should be in something very, very big in two weeks. And they're going to have to set that are up Are we so week. sure we won't go the MJF route in a week's time? I, I mean, they, you, can't, you can't discount anything. That just seems to me that it's just getting We said the same thing started. about Punk. Punk and yeah, AJ, yeah, it's we? it's it's certainly like you can't be stunned if they are opted to go that way with the idea of like bringing it back at the pay per view. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're they're gonna have to set that up next week if they're doing. I would say if if they were gonna go that route, I I would argue you probably should have done it this week. Perhaps, yeah. Then they announce. Yeah, I'm not kidding. This Friday on Rampage is the $300,000 Three Kings Christmas Casino Trios Battle Royale. I thought this was a joke. (laughs) Shivani first stated this earlier in the night, calling it the $3,000 Three Kings Casino, and Excalibur had to correct him that, no, the winners aren't going to all take home a grand from this battle royal. I mean, listen, that, 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 that's a pretty good payday for most wrestlers on, on this planet. But well, Can you imagine? Um, like, Moxie could just take an indie shot that night. and uh, But no. Um, yeah, these are our trios that will be happening. So we've got uh, the BCC, the Dark Order, the Best Friends and Cassidy. Uh, then we have, uh, who else? We have Preston Vance, Rouge and Dralistico, Top Flight and AR Fox, Kip Sabian, Butcher and Blade. Uh, the Chaos Project of Luther, Serpentico, and Angelico, and then Ari Davari, Josh Woods, and Tony Nice. I guess our remaining Trustbusters is are, are Woods and Nice in the Trustbusters? Um, no. Wait. Uh, no. They're 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 in, they're their own thing. 
aren't they? And then Ari Ari Davari's thing is the trust busters, but Woods and Nice are with Sterling. They're, They're the, with uh, Sterling. Ro- the, varsity the, the varsity athletes. Athletes, yes. I don't know I don't, if the trust busters are a thing anymore after that. Well, tonight they got busted, yeah. Trust uh, trust has been busted, yeah. I don't um, think they're winning. Probably probably not. But unless they lost all their money and they've got to and Ari's got to regain it. Uh, maybe yeah, this 300 grand. Yeah. I mean, this does give the gimmick for some team to win and have money. I I quite like, love this name and I hope I mean, listen, like this entire graphic is like, you know, uh, text an Excalibur segment already on its own naming oh. every single person on this graphic and trying to name this title of this three hundred thousand dollar three kings christmas casino trios trios battle royal do you know how, how much better these segments would be if excalibur didn't have a script and he just had to go off the graphics that come up and then he sees this one <laughs> one day the one f- day they should just trick strip him up and like <laughs> show something like this the hardest job in AEW belongs to excalibur I like this though. You know, this is something unique for Rampage. You know, I'm kind of curious what a well, what is a trios battle royal? What? So if you're eliminated, your whole team is eliminated. Is that it? I mean, the, their battle royals, as I recall, they they do. It's like all like the tag teams have always had to be eliminated to like in totality. So I I don't know how this one will go. I would so imagine what, last man standing like wins for the trio. That's that's what I think it'll be. Yeah. Uh, so okay. a lot of eliminations that that would mean. Okay. It's something unique, you know, for Rampage. And, uh, you know, you've got John Moxley on that show again. So, interesting. Next up, we had a Moxley promo about the Battle Royal. And he's sick of the tired, somber tones regarding Hangman's injury, asking, what did you expect was going to happen in this match? Do you think I was throwing this lariat to comb your hair? And says that, <laughs> Great line. I settled it when I knocked you out. It's not my fault you have a glass jaw. Don't become a play wrestler. And then mentions his opponent tonight, Darius Martin, and just totally mocks all of his injuries, including a car accident, and asks, is that my fault too? And he's going to have to teach him a hard lesson tonight. This was an asshole, but it was a great asshole promo from John Moxley. Yeah, I love this (laughs) promo from Mox. I mean, he used the man's very legitimate first one man's you know let's talk about the first one the a, a man's very legitimate freak accident injury as almost a source of pride here not necessarily like you know in an overtly heelish way like i'm glad i injured you but more as a way of saying like well what did it's you like i knocked you out in a fight like that's exactly. this is the game yeah i'm not gonna yeah. feel bad about this it's totally logical in character but you know when you hear it, it's almost kind of shocking. Like, oh, Mox like went there. He used that against him. I mean, I think it, it, it it's perfect for the John Moxley type of character who is very much a babyface, but can exist in a shades of gray, you know, sort of space because he's just the guy who wants to kick ass no matter like who you are. And then we come back from break. Hello, friends. Samoa Joe here. <laughs> And I was like, this is already awesome. He's in this, he's decked out in his jacket and nice shirt in front of a Christmas tree, wishing us all a happy holiday. And he hopes Wardlow has a great holiday with his friends and family because it's not going to be a happy new year after next week when he's going to get all he asked for and more. And then all the holiday cheer ends next week. This guy is quickly becoming one of my favorite people in wrestling. This character is great seeing someone joe pop up on my tv screen in a full-on suit a checkered suit plaid suit we should say 
um, saying hello, friends, is like <laughs> I is everything this. I need. I need this once a week. <laughs> um, I would love for Joe to just simply like cut into dynamite once a week, delivering a state of the union address behind a podium, as the king of television should be doing every single week. You know, he should be giving these like broadcasts every every time. Um, I don't know if this is the start of a new gimmick for him, but I I loved it here. That should be part of the TNT championship. I mean, I mean, he's on TBS now, but nonetheless, like you get X amount of television time every week. I mean, that's what yeah. this that could be a shoot competition for the locker room. Like you get TV time with this belt. Exactly. You, Guaranteed it, it, segment every week on television. You get two minutes of airtime on TNT to do whatever you want with it. Okay. If you just want to sit there eating, you know, Cheetos, you could do that. Um, if you want to call your mom on TV, great. S- swim laps, play uh, bop it. Swim laps, like without, like in, with, in, a, in pool. a pool. Yeah, oh, yeah. so you have to be broadcasting from a pool. Yeah, yeah. Got it. You can you can bop have it. someone bop it. Did you ever play bop it? I never played bop it. Um, Samoa Joe playing bop it uh, would be, I I'd, I'd watch that. Hook. Uh, played Bop It with Exodus Prime, who is back. Exodus Prime uh, making his way, a, a frequent contributor now in AEW programming. Uh, just destroyed here. Takedown, shots to the body, T-bone, lariat, cross faces, and red rum in a minute three. Hook wins, but then we cut to the back where Big Bill is with Lee Moriarty and Stokely Hathaway destroying Jungle Boy that ends with poor Jungle Boy being choke slammed into a dumpster. Yeah, yeah. And for all we know, he's still there. Well, um, needs a sh- needs a shower. Words. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm quite excited for this Jungle Boy Hook team. You know, it's 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 like Danhausen and Hook in that they have contrasting personalities, but unlike Danhausen and Hook, there's probably a lot more credibility attached to these two in ring. It's less mid card comedy. And, you know, we'll, we'll give a chance for jungle boy to continue to speak and for hook to just play like this kind of badass, strong, silent character. And then this is a cool transition hooks on his way to the back. Moxley's music plays and we cut to his entrance through the crowd and we just kind of bleed into the next segment, uh, which mm-hmm. is the Moxley Darius Martin match. And we've got Claudio and Dante out in the respective corners. And this was a match of Moxley pretty much beating the hell out of this guy. He's shoving him at ringside, bullying him, getting into Dante's face. And then he's distracted, turns around, and all of a sudden, Darius nails him with a dive to the floor. And then Darius gets his ankle worked on, hammer and anvil elbows. He's doing them right in front of Dante. Then they exchange forearms, and Moxley starts tearing at the knee brace of Darius and rolls through on a crossbody, stomps down on the guy's head, and then he's delivering elbows. And I'm not saying we're getting to the what territory or the uh, uh, the, the, the two count that uh, originated in Montreal, but that Ocho on these eight counts is... Um, they are here, and I think yeah. they're here to stay. It's at the point now where, like, I'm, I'm not even noticing them, and soon I'm going to be at the point now where I'm going to be actively blocking them out. Um, I mean, but they're fun as hell for people live, so I, I can't blame them at all. 
And then Death Rider wins in 849. Um, you know, sometimes these matches, it's like uh, like Omega and uh, and Hagane and uh, Hagane on uh, Dark. Like it was, a guy gave him everything. Uh, this was not one of those matches. He pretty much destroyed this guy. Like got some offense in, but this was not. This was more so for Moxley to really decimate. And that's perfectly fine. It yeah, is this was not. The, this is not be. the time for Moxley to be doing fifty fifty like these. No. Not he's building all. up for a big match with Hangman, and he's playing this much more aggressive version of himself that should not be escaping by the skin of his teeth against Darius Martin. There's a time to do that stuff, but yeah. if Darius Martin is not primed for something, don't blow that on just for the sake of doing it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought, like, you know, I don't know, just going 50-50 for the sake of, like, having a great match, I think would have, like, defeated the story and the character that you you develop with with john moxley and even for darius martin i mean if you're going to follow through with darius but they're not going to follow through he's not the focus here um but i wouldn't say it was a complete blowout i thought darius like you know was was given i think a good amount but what this was was i think a showcase of john moxley's like very aggressive style you know his very intense very aggressive style again he's he's the type of baby face that can also fall into a heel role against an underdog like Darius because he's just a guy who wants to beat the shit out of people, you know, whether you're a heel or whether you're a babyface. And he made this into a fight for Darius, which I feel like, you know, high flyers that are usually very graceful kind of have difficulty achieving, you know, the feeling of a real fight. I thought Mox pulled the fight out of Darius here, and I thought it made for a great match from both of them. Good showcase for Darius, like, you know, trying to fight this monster in John Moxley. So, I, you know, even for a little showcase on Dynamite, I thought it was very entertaining. The Book of Hobbes continued, and he explained that his first memory was his uncle overdosing when Hobbes was three years old. And as a child, he was beaten. He was robbed. He's been stabbed. He's been shot. Who would do this to a child, he asks. The answer, monsters. But in doing so, they create a monster themselves. And now it's time to spill everyone else's blood. Merry mm. Christmas. Oh, God, goodness, yeah. I love these. I think they've been tremendous. They've been so nicely produced. They look so great. They make Hobbs look like a complete package, and they make him feel important they make him feel like a fully packaged character and we we finally are starting to understand the motivations behind Hobbs and who he is why he's he snarls why he's always in such a bad mood I mean the man had a very rough childhood and he's going to take it out on every single person out there it's at the point now where I think these have you know made to me a pretty good impression that the moment he comes out and attacks a baby face he's going to get a good reaction. Like these have built up, I think his stature pretty well. So, but I'm not sick of them at all. So I hope they keep them going. No. And I, I think you can, you can continue them for, for a bit. It's just, to me, all this culminates with those cow palace shows and then the mm. pay-per-view in San Francisco. Like when they're in the Bay Area, yeah. I think and I could sense it in Newark when we were there, like powerhouse ops, not the most over guy on the show by any means, but he certainly had something going with the audience that night. Like they were very much behind Hobbs. And I think they recognize that these spots have been great and it's added so much depth to him that when he does come back, I think it will be very much as a baby face and it's going to explode when they're in the Bay area and i 
I think like this is where whatever this is going for, it should really peak for that that week. But we are quite a ways away from that. As a babyface, that's really interesting. I mean, because everything about the attitude here, you know, screams to me heel. But I mean, could could he? I'm just saying how I think he's going to be received. I think I think (laughs) you're going to have you know this. um, I I certainly think you're going to have that that audience behind him, or you're you're going to have to do something to sway them away because these are going to be endearing to people. I feel we're a pretty long way away from. Yeah, and I don't think you run these for another three months. I think Mm -hmm. you have to. Two, two months and change, but you, you could bring him back earlier, but that should be yeah. a big week for him. The guns versus FTR. The guns are sent to the floor. We go through a break, and the, the idea here is that FTR are really paying the toll from the double dog collar match, and they're on a two-match losing streak after the acclaimed title loss and then the Briscoes on the pay-per-view. So Dax's quad is all taped up. He's going for a sharpshooter on Austin, but it's stopped by Colton. They get the advantage, and they go for a spike pile driver to Dax on the floor, which is thwarted by Cash Wheeler to leave, delivering a elbow suicida to the floor, and an Austin throws this guy into the guardrail at a grand speed and just nailed them into the rail um they're doing the uh, the suck it to dax and then uh austin applies his own sharpshooter to dax cash returns breaking it up and then cash comes off the apron he crashes into the guardrail again so dax tries to lift up uh one of the guns for a pile driver but his quad and back are all messed up so he can't do it austin reverses the the o'connor roll and holds on to colton for leverage from the floor pinning dax in Nine minutes and 10 seconds. So FTR have now lost three matches in a row and the guns get their win. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a pretty strong match. You know, I, I when you're told, you know, um, showing me the, the list, a list of FTRs like, you know, would be challengers that they had coming up for the last uh, season or for the last several months. I mean, the guns were pretty, pretty low on that list. But um I thought the match actually ended up uh, turning out pretty well. And it's a reminder that, like, you know, considering especially Colton's level of experience, I think he's achieving way more than we should be expecting of him. Um, I thought it was good. And I was even more pleased, actually, by the booking of it. You know, it, it, it was strong and un, un, unexpected. Protecting, you know, FTR here with the injury, of course, to Dax, um, which I, I thought they, you know, told that story really well throughout. And it sets... Like, it's the biggest thing the guns have ever really had, at least in terms of an in-ring win. So, you know, the question is whether or not this is setting them up so that FTR can beat them later on or not, If um, depending on the status of FTR. Well, given that they are going with the story of this losing streak, um, I think this pretty much um, is the writing on the wall. Next Wednesday, they're doing the AAA show defending the titles against Dragon Lee and Dralistico. And the following Wednesday, so it's two weeks they won't be on Dynamite. The following week, Goto and Yoshihashi, I think they're dropping all these titles as part Mm. of this losing streak, and they're going to have nothing. And then they come back and have to regroup. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So their contracts are... Dax believes their deal is up in April. That's 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 so interesting. Shouldn't you know when your contract is up? You you would think so, yes. (laughs) Okay, so he believes that they would be up in April. Okay, which means like, you know, they they would still be around for for some time to to tell these stories, but I mean, you know, they've had a whole year with these championships and and it would make sense that they would give them up at the end of the year. And then we go to as John Cena dubbed him Sanjay Z. And 
Sanjay okay. Dutt did his own rap, which was highlighted by Jeff Jarrett in this slap Mac shirt, grooving to this awful rap as Satnam Singh and Jay Lethal um, were back up for Sanjay. Uh, Taz called this the most awkward rap he has ever seen. Um, I, I thought this was pretty hilarious. Not since DJ Jopo have oh. I heard a rapper so offbeat. Uh, Thank you. And not since DJ Jopo have I loved a rap video so much. <laughs> yeah, this was this was it was fun. It was fun. You know, I, it was I, a set up a rampage match. Like yeah. I was, I was all for this. I was. Dude. I would, if anything, if my only complaint is that I, I felt like this teased me. This got us so close to finally getting a Jeff Jarrett verse. And we, did you can't give it. that away though. Just unprepared. Okay. That's coming. <laughs> That's got to come. They're Tony not Conti. even facing the acclaimed on, uh, like it's, it's just Bowens and Billy on. You got to wait for the tag title challenge. Oh, and then please. we'll get the, the Jarrett diss track. It would be the only thing honestly worthwhile about this entire feud. Oof. Well, we have plenty of uh, worthwhile things to discuss in this next segment because oh, Tony Schiavone is in the ring with my favorite personality, Rick Ross. He is back. I was so excited when I saw this graphic the other day that he would be mediating the face-to-face meeting. And Rick Ross, just step aside, Tony. I've got this handled. And he brings out Keith Lee first. Make some noise for the big homie, Keith Lee. And he reminds us all that he's the biggest boss, Rick Ross, and they've come to make some history here in Texas. And they've got some big business to discuss. And then he calls out the young legend, Swerve. And as Swerve is coming out, Rick Ross is really taken aback by the moment. And he looks down, and he looks up, and he tells Keith Lee, man, you're a big motherfucker. (laughs) uncensored on TVS way. I wish you were here with me because I was like, this is the best segment of the year getting in right at the deadline. I was just in my glory. (laughs) I was swerving in my glory watching this segment. I am Keith Lee's reaction was the best. He's like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) so they did not catch this one. So swerve is out and swerve. I don't know how these guys kept straight faces with this man out here says, I tried with you, Keith. We should own everything. And Rick Ross, own this shit. (laughs) Again, gets out, which was nothing compared to the last one. And Swerve says, I can't deal with the accusations. False accusations. (laughs) And Lee, you can't keep your eye on the ball. Can't keep your eye on the titles. Your health. Whoa. Whoa. And you've got to keep your eyes in the back of your head from now on when all of a sudden Parker Boudreau shows up and attacks Keith Lee and he's wearing the mogul affiliates hoodie that Swerve is in and Lee fights off Parker. <laughs> Rick Ross is trying to do his commentary that consisted of whoa, whoa, and then Another man appears, and this is where I'm like, 
<laughs> I'm nearly about to message John Cena and say, has this guy been on Dark? I don't know who this guy is. And then Excalibur doesn't know who this guy is. So this guy's really off the beaten path. This man is inked from head to toe, and that's not an exaggeration. And he joins in on the attack, and <laughs> they proceed to beat down Keith Lee. And it leads to Lee being set up on the steps. They pull out a cinder block to place onto Keith Lee's chest. And Swerve comes off the top for the Swerve stomp. Thankfully, the cinder block broke. Could you imagine if this uh, cinder block didn't uh, go along with its spot? And then the just the the kiss the lips moment to put an exclamation point on this segment. Rick Ross, he may need some attention. <laughs> Dude, Rick Ross is the best edition of pro wrestling in 2022. I love this man. He doesn't have to be here every week, but man, when he's here, he has got my undivided attention. I I don't know how this group is going to go, but dude, Rick Ross is my favorite part of AEW this year. Two segments that I was just greatly entertained by this man from. It was a segment. And uh, <laughs> it's one that I've, I've seen a, a bit of division on from the oh, audience. Uh, I love this. I love this. And I'm not going to hear otherwise. Those looking for, I think, what we would classically deem as a successful professional wrestling television segment may not necessarily find it here, at least in the form of Rick Ross as, a, I don't know, a, a mediator in a segment like this. Um, and I'm more in that camp, okay? I know, understand there's a real novelty to it, but man, Swerve was about to say something, and this man just <laughs> would not cut him, like, would not stop cutting him off, you know? Um, there was, like, a real certain, like, charm to it being on live TV. It made it fun. You didn't know what was going to happen next, and I was yeah. greatly entertained by it. I can understand people getting, you know, was it smooth? No, but that was the appeal to me. Like, I, I really enjoyed this. And at the end of the day, it was a big attack on Keith Lee, and I I, I don't know, like, uh, Parker Boudreau and the man in the ink, I, I do not know how these two are going to fare in this group. Um, we will see. Yeah. I, I don't know. I thought the post, like the, the actual attack with, with the work cinder block, I thought was tremendous. It looked great. It was as devastating as I, say, I think something like this needed to be. Um, and I also really like the fact that they're building a faction around Swerve. I mean, I, I really truly think like, you know, Swerve is going to be a top act in this company in 2023. And I think having two heavies next to him is going to really like help his perception as being a top guy. And uh, Parker Boudreaux, you know, the, the trust busters, like really seriously, like is, I, I suppose it was fine that, you know, I don't know to, for him to kind of get his training wheels within the AEW locker room. But beyond that, this is a much better role for him. I have no idea who this other dude is. I don't know if he's a wrestler. I don't know if he's a rapper. I don't know what he is, but he looks the part. He looks like he would be, you know, some sort of bodyguard for a rapper or something or, or a rapper himself, um, you know, who could at least, you know, do a bit of damage and with a cinder block. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. Uh, and, yeah. and you know what? More Rick Ross. Sure. Why not? Yeah, I'm 
I'm open minded to these these additions mainly, but I will say, like, yes, this uh this individual, the unnamed individual, um, you know, he's probably just gonna be your muscle here. I would say if it's like a wrestling role, you could certainly look at, man, this is a company that it's like, man, you have a just never ending lineup of talent that are just dying for TV time. I would say more so for Parker Boudreau, he better have the like he better really step up to get to to justify this role because you could certainly look at like others that you could fit into a role like this um it's not like Ooh. parker boudreaux has knocked everybody dead since he's come into this company this is you know in theory a pretty you know not main event spot but a significant one certainly the most significant for him um since his harlan days yeah i mean i i feel like there are only so many big guys to fit into a faction and and i mean are there any others that you, you could honestly think of that that would have, you know, played this role better. Oh, this like, could have been, been Nick Comoroto's coming out party. Yeah. I mean, he's already got a, a gig in the factory, doesn't he? For life at this Could point. you imagine Miro as a mogul? Miro as a mogul. Um, Miro with Rick Ross. I think that would be quite, Oh, my goodness. Like the uh, talking I, I would just love Rick Ross to do one episode of Dark on commentary. Let him loose yeah. on YouTube. I, I think we're getting close. Okay. I, I am greatly entertained by Rick Ross, and I'll never not be when they announce him for a segment. Uh, for Rampage, it is the $300,000 Three Kings Trios Battle Casino Royale Over the Top Rope Extravaganza. Eddie Kingston and Ortiz will speak. Jade Cargill takes on Vert Vixen in a title eliminator match. And Anthony Bowens and Billy Gunn versus Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal are set. Dynamite next week has Joe and Wardlow for the TNT title. Brian Danielson against Ethan Page. And the Falls Count Anywhere match number six of the Best of Seven series in Broomfield, Colorado. All right. They'll be, they'll be at elevation. See if that affects uh, them. They're in Colorado. Oh, okay. They'll be competing at Elevation. I thought you meant like the show. Uh, no, you're right. It will be a literal AEW Dark Elevation taping. Hmm. Jamie Hayter versus Hikaru Shida is the main event for the Women's Championship. And they start off where uh, Shida has run into the guardrail during the picture-in-picture. Uh, picture. A snap mare off the, tri- off the turnbuckle is delivered to Shida. They fight on the edge. And you've got Baker and Rebel in the corner as well. Shida gets dumped off the buckle when the superplex is blocked. And then Hayter misses a top rope moonsault, allowing Shida to connect with a running knee for a two-count. And then she goes for the katana, but Hayter collapses on her knees and therefore can't take the move and out of nowhere catches Sheeta with a DVD backbreaker and a lariat for a two count and then goes for the hater aid. What do you think about the hater aid way? That's her, her name for for the Rainmaker. Yes. The hater aid. Um, um, could be worse. It could be better. Um, the hater aid is stopped, and then we get a series of kicks from Sheeta. Hater ducks a katana. There's a German by Sheeta, and then Baker gets onto the apron with a kendo stick as Rebel distracts the referee. Sheeta grabs Baker, attacks her off the turnbuckle, and hits her with the kendo stick. And then Hater comes back. This leads to a deadlift powerbomb by Jamie Hater. And when Sheeta kicks out, the place explodes, and they give a standing ovation at this point. We get a series of kickouts. The crowd is on fire. 
lariat by Hader for a two count before hitting the Haterade for the win in 16 minutes and 17 seconds. A fantastic reaction from this crowd. And these women worked uh, incredibly hard in and, and stepped up in a big way, in a, in a big role to get, you know, over 16 minutes here in the final slot. An incredible, incredible match. It's it's incredibly rare for AEW to showcase a women's match in the main event, and these two took full advantage by delivering a standout, memorable performance. From the get-go, you know, you could tell that this was a match that was going to be a lot more hard-hitting than uh, a lot of matches that you were going to see on this program. And I think that's a style that I feel like Jamie Hayter has... Um, you know, used in all of her matches and maybe part of the reason why this audience has gravitated towards her so much. And, 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 you know, her now, you know, uh, having a, a title run with matches on TV in this type of style, I think is incredibly welcome. You have Hikaru Shida here, who's also very willing to, you know, hit hard and to wrestle a very aggressive, fast paced style. And you got that here. Um, I don't think anybody like I certainly wasn't expecting, you know, Hikarashi to to have uh, much of a chance to to beat Jamie Hayter. But this match got so good that they got this cut to suspend their disbelief to think that it could have happened. So, uh, man, um, they got this crowd to stand up for them this deep into the program. And I think that's something that should be very, very commended. Yep, they did a really, really strong performance in, in the main event slot. And then Baker and Rebel continue the attack on Sheeta when Tony Storm runs down and they're explaining she has not cleared yet after breaking her nose. And they beat down Hater and they're about to l- lay her out with a belt shot. And then Soraya runs down at the end to save the baby faces. And we have what looks to be a six woman tag coming at a future episode at some point over. Whether it's next week or Seattle, um, probably. Well, I guess it depends. Like they did explain that Storm is not uh, cleared, whether legit or well, uh, in storyline at least, because she certainly got physical here. So hmm. uh, anyway, setting up a match coming out of this as well. Yeah, we haven't seen Soraya wrestle, of course, since uh, um, Full Gear, and um, I think seeing her in a, in a trio setting will be, you know, a great way for her to kind of like, you know, have her moments without. Um, getting needing to get completely physical uh, for uh, an extended amount of time. So, I, you know, they're establishing some, I think, pretty strong baby faces in uh, on on uh, on the program to oppose, you know, Hater and, and Rebel and uh, uh, Baker. Um, so, I think it's in good shape. And, you know, January 4th will be very interesting how Dynamite handles it because, you know, from all indications, that will be um, hours removed from Mercedes Bernardo appearing at Wrestle Kingdom. And Hmm. if, like, do you put out, it? like, if she is in fact coming to L.A., I would want to make that, you know, it it seems the Tony Khan way is like the the wink and the nod without flat out stating it. But how at that point, it's like the uh, the secrets out for New Japan and AEW doing some kind of heavy tease that night of what's coming the next week. And conversely, if it's not, um, I would say making sure you don't have that surprise element if if you don't have um, all your eyes dotted and T's crossed. Same thing, you know, WWE had to contend with with a, a head of Survivor Series in Boston. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Do we see some sort of like dollar bill left on the uh, ramp or, or something like that? You know, something to basically spell out this person is coming without explicitly saying so. Or do they just say it? Maybe um, maybe they announced Snoop Dogg will be there on January the 11th at the forum. Tune in. 
Saraya says Snoop Dogg's going to bring me out to the ring. Yeah, with or Rick Ross. Yeah, that could be too. Yeah, yeah. The- <laughs> and Bow Wow and Action Bronson. Just just bring all the rappers. Could and you imagine? Jeff- Imagine that pop. Mercedes walks out and then she's interrupted by Rick Ross. Give it up. Give it up. <laughs> yeah, he should call the entire match. Uh, he should, Rick Ross should call Wrestle Kingdom. How about that? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's not Mercedes. Her, <laughs> Sasha Banks. That's Sasha Banks. <sighs> oh, my goodness. Uh, and that was Dynamite. I would say uh, two very strong matches on the show between the women's match and the trios match. But this was more of a show that, you know, it focused on a lot of talking segments, but very effective ones that I, I like the departure from the, the usual, um, you know, the, the, the usual format that you had some really strong promos on this show and building up uh, a lot of different programs that uh, I, I really enjoyed this two hour program. I thought it was another very strong edition of AEW Dynamite. Good wrestling. I mean, any, you know, a, a, a very fresh Death Triangle versus Elite match this time. Uh, an incredibly strong women's main event that we rarely get to see. And then strong talking segments as well, you know, from everybody. I like Mox's promo. I like Danielson's promo. You know, uh, who else we got here? Ricky Starks and Chris Jericho. Oh, that Stark segment was tremendous. Yeah, it was a very good show. I thought Ricky Starks, like, he felt like a superstar on this show, like a top mm-hmm. babyface. Um, like, they, it's been remarkable, like, this this month where he has truly broken through to another level. Bigger bigger star than Rick Ross? Bigger breakthrough than Rick Ross? Baby steps. We're, we're not there yet. All right. We're going to take your super chats, your feedback. You can uh, get your questions in, your thoughts. And, uh, yes, as we close out this episode. All right, let's go to some of your super chats. As always, if you guys are watching us live at youtube.com slash postwrestling, we go live pretty much five minutes right after WWE Raw, right right after AEW Dynamite, right after WWE SmackDown and AEW Rampage, but that's in the cafe, so you got to join us for that. Uh, Join the cafe for that. But uh, tonight, super chatters. First, we go to Hanzi, who sends $7 Canadian. Thank you, as always, for the support, Hanzi. He says... You can do a show with promos in this company when the promos sound real and the talent is over in their roles with the right crowd playing along. And I believe this was in response to us, um, you know, commenting that Rampage started with a talking segment instead of a uh, a wrestling segment today. And yeah, I certainly agree. You know, as we touched on Hanzi, I mean, it's the quality of the segment that really kind of dictates, um, you know, it's, it's enjoyment. And maybe that's what WWE has been lacking for a long, long time. I certainly think you can rely on a, on a pattern, you know, um, too, too much. And uh, as I say, my pattern uh, of um, my, my crutch phrase of too, too much. But, um, you know, tonight I thought it was a nice break for AEW to start with a promo. Let's go up next to Matthew Yanes, who sends $2. who says, Rwanda Dynamite number one. Merry Christmas, gents. Merry Christmas to you, Matthew. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Matthew. We got an Edwin B who sends five dollars to say weekly AEW Dark, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and ROH fill in the blank. Happy oh. holidays. Oh, I um a name. What will you call the Ring of Honor show? Ring of Honor. At this point, seeing that it's as it's the only Ring of Honor TV show, you probably just end up calling it Ring of Honor. Like when, when Ring of Honor was on Sinclair, it did not have any sort of catchy name. It was it was strictly Ring of Honor. Once they have a secondary show, then maybe. But I don't Ring think of Honor Adrenaline. <laughs> um, has that one been used before? I, I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure it has. 
Um, it's 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 there in the drop down menu of wrestling sh- uh, names. Yeah. Um, Ring of Honor. Um, fried. <laughs> <laughs> Night one. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's the that's the answer right right there. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for the super chats. Thank you, guys. Uh, we have a few pieces of feedback. Uh, let's start with Roman from Chattanooga, Tennessee. One of the most memorable episodes of Dynamite we've seen in a while. From Stark saying Jericho had an air fryer body and dressed like a single dad on his fifth divorce. To Danielson being called Vegetable Man and a Raggedy Bitch. MC Lil Dutt and the FCC's favorite. You a big motherfucker. Eight out of ten show. Rick Ross in a Santa suit could have taken this over the top, but alas, we were robbed. A question. Do you think that the combination of exploring new markets and updating the look of the shows will bring a shot in the arm to AEW's business in 2023? Not that they're in trouble by any means, but it was apparent the last few months that they were starting to exhaust certain parts of the country. Have a great Christmas, everybody. Yes, this is in relation to... um uh, the story that Tony Khan has confirmed that in the new year, there will be a new look to the mm-hmm. shows. I, I don't think anyone is buying tickets to see a set or graphics. Um, I, I think it's much more going to be contingent on your stars and angles and matches that are going yeah. to attract your and the general buzz that you generate. And it, it's nice aesthetics. But even Tony Khan noted like he's hesitant to like build this up as something significant when it's. Like WCW tried that way back in the day when they were going to have a new set and a new logo and they made it up to be this idea. Like it was going to be this thing that gets us back to prominence. It's like, let's, let's look at the realistic uh, outcome here of a, of a new look. Um, it's, it's nice, but other than some brief oohs and ahs, I, I don't know if it's going to have much impact beyond that. A first coat of paint is, is a great accent, you know, on, on on a house that that already you know has strong internal structure. Um, but when when a house is, <laughs> this is all like I love this. This is for my home home shopping uh, times. Um, but you know, if the bones of the house, as my uh, real estate agent uh, like to call it, aren't, aren't good, then you know you can I don't know have a brand new kitchen and it's probably still going to be shitty yeah. um so I, i'm i'm in agreement um you know what was notable was that we had ricky starks call that january 4th show uh new city new AEW. so i wonder like how hard they're going to promote the fact that you're going to see like a new set and and new things yeah yeah i mean i i missed that so i mean if they've got like a little like branding for that for that show like certainly the seattle show feels like it's it's going to be a much bigger than usual in, uh dynamite that they're they're building too. Let's go to Brian from New Jersey, who says the strong main event between Hater and Cheetah with the hot clothes, quality chaos between Death Triangle and the Elite, and a lot of fun promos with starts Jericho, Danielson versus Ego, and Stokely and the King of Television's holiday message. Less fun, but very serious words from the likes of Moxley and Hobbs. My biggest negative was the very clunky formation of the Mogul affiliates with Miss Cues and Rick Cross having to stretch a lot. Live television at its finest, I thought. <laughs> Jordan from the Bronx. Everyone wants to talk about Rick Ross. For better or for worse, he's a meme factory Whether whenever he's on Dynamite. The segment was chaotic and random as hell. Andretti and Starks getting pulled into the Jericho orbit can be fun as long as it doesn't last eight months like the other feuds. The Elite Death Triangle match was fantastic. Stipulations in the back half 
definitely have definitely helped differentiate and elevate each match. Hader and Sheeta earned that main event spot and delivered. Hopefully that sets a tone to switch up having the women stuck in the 930 spot. I want to get more into the Darius Martin Moxley match, but the match never left first gear. Darius seems to be missing something that Dante has with the crowd. Happy holidays and same to you, Jordan. I don't know if it was a match designed to get beyond a first gear, you know, like it's, it's box like being mocks. Mm-hmm. Th- this was not the Takeshita match on on Rampage. This was not the Guevara match that he did on Friday. This was much more of a just um, Moxley coming in, and you know he is the higher ranked individual, and you know he was Darius trying to hang with this guy and and not. We got a Johnny from Saskatoon who says, "Fun Dynamite tonight." Oddly enough, it was the inclusion of Rick Ross mediating the face to face of Swerve and Lee that made me watch tonight. Unfortunately, the segment was terribly awkward, like the backstage lost communication to the live show. Hater and Cheetah was match of the show. It really felt like a New Japan match. You could feel those gears clicking in as the match got closer to the end. Overall, great show. It feels like AEW is hitting its stride again. I feel excited to watch AEW again. And and a lot of that you have to give to like these crowds these last few weeks have been mm-hmm. tremendous. And tonight was another example of it. Like they elevated those matches and especially the women's match too. Like that was yeah. like, they treated them like huge stars at the end. Like this crowd was awesome in San Antonio. Muggin writes, it's rare that the women's division closes out a dynamite. Nine months to be exact, but Hikari Shida and Jamie Hayter made the most of it. It was a strong outing for both ladies. Ricky Stark's star power didn't dim one iota after winter is coming, and entering the Jericho-verse has me a little concerned because of Jericho's habit of dragging out feuds. I hope Ricky... You know, like, Jericho is not the head booker, either. It's like, you know, he certainly has his his uh, input, so to speak, but it was like, like this, is, this guy's not showing up and just saying, okay, this is how it's going to be, and this is all that we're going to do. Like, there is a head booker here in uh, in AEW. I hope Ricky is the exception to the rule and he gets elevated even further. It was nice to see Action Andretti get the rub for his involvement. It appears that Death Triangle might blow a 3-1 lead. Uh, the Lee Strickland segment was like watching a snuff film with Rosé's Rose commentary. A strongly bookended episode. And finally, we got a Cody from Maine who says a strong show, but another instance of AEW trying to fit too much onto the card. I appreciate the attention to storylines, but I could have done without the hook matchup to set up the backstage beatdown, Sanjay's rap, and even the mogul affiliate segment, although Rick Ross was hilarious. The sixth man was as wild and entertaining as expected. The main event was fantastic, but even those had the end of match even those had the end of match skirmishes that I could have gone without as well. I swear I enjoyed the show. That said, happy holidays to both of you, and thank you all for the hours of entertainment. I really enjoyed the dishwasher conversation conversation on last week's talk. Always nice to know there are others out there. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, Cody, and thank you to all of you for your feedback. And that brings an end to Rewind a Dynamite. Uh, we failed to mention it off the top, but Way will be back on Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, the final wellness policy of the year with Jordan Goodman and Neil Flanagan. It is open phone lines. I hope yeah. you have a seven-second delay in case you, you know, get any uh, F-bombs from any uh, big bosses out there. I hope Rick Ross uh, calls in. Oh, please, please. Yeah. I will call in if Rick Ross calls. Okay, yes. Uh, yeah, we're actually going to be streaming this one right here at YouTube.com slash Post Wrestling, 3 p.m. Eastern. So uh, details on how to call in will be presented to all of you as you tune in live. Join me, Neil Flanagan, Jordan Goodman. It is open phone lines. So whatever topics you want to talk about that are relevant to the wellness policy, whether it be about community, whether it be about yourselves, whether it be about one of us, 
Share us your stories. Call us 3 p.m. Eastern Thursday. Always a great show that the three of you guys uh, put out each month. And then Friday night, the Christmas show premieres here on the YouTube channel at 11 p.m. Eastern time. A packed, packed edition. It's the post-wrestling Christmas tradition here at the site. And then coming up this weekend as well, do want to make mention that Brandon Thurston, We'll be releasing a audio documentary on Vince McMahon and his 2022. What better way to start off Christmas morning than by listening to Vince McMahon's year that was that saw him ousted from power from World Wrestling Entertainment. So that is how Brandon Thurston will be celebrating Christmas on Wednesday. We hope you all join him and it should be a tremendous uh, retrospective on one Vince McMahon. So uh, there you have it. And no rewind to Raw this Monday night. We may have a different show uh, in its place this Monday, but with the best show way and i are not sitting down to watch the absolute best of raw because we watched every single raw this year so this is our one monday that they are giving us off Uh, but plenty next week including the release of the five-year anniversary show and then pretty much uh, back to normal next week with uh, next week's dynamite yeah yeah so i mean outside of the christmas show we we probably won't see you guys until at least in the live setting until next week so we want to wish everybody happy holidays uh and do tune into the Christmas show on yes. Friday. Thanks to everybody for all your support uh, throughout the year or years for, for many of you out there. Uh, we hope you have a very safe and happy holiday, and we will speak with you at the Christmas show. Bring your eggnog.